Please join me in the prayer of illumination this morning. Gracious Lord, like Nicodemus, we come to the Word with many questions. Like the Pharisees, we can be captivated by correctness, intent on right answers. As we turn to your Word, Spirit of God, do not let our desire for information dominate our need for transformation. Let us hear the word and be moved to greater faith and obedience. Amen. The first reading this morning is from Mark 4. Verses 35 through 41, page 914 in your pew Bible. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose. And the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Most biblical scholars will say that if there is one story that provides a lens for the entire Old Testament, if not the entire New Testament, it is the story of the Exodus. The taking of a people that is in bondage and carrying them through the waters, through the wilderness, and into the land of promise. That uh, resonates very clearly, not only in the Old Testament, but certainly in our understanding of baptism. If you think about the exodus of the nation of Israel through the parted sea, as Moses leads the people on dry land safely across to the other side, their journey into safety literally went through the waters. And so does our path into faith through the waters of baptism. So with that lens in mind, I invite you to hear this word from the Old Testament from the prophet Isaiah, the 43rd chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 3, but only the first half of verse 3. I believe it's on page 658 in your pew Bibles. Listen now for the word of God to the church. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. 
I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Over the past eight to ten days, I expect you would agree with me that people all around us have experienced and knew what it is like to pass through the waters, to wonder if the rivers and seas might actually rise up to overwhelm us. The Bible's full of these kinds of images of nature's wrath, from the flood of Noah to Elijah's experience of earthquakes and winds on the mountaintop to the storms on the Sea of Galilee that put fear into the hearts of the disciples to the crashing waves that shipwrecked the Apostle Paul no less than three times. And yet in each of these situations, God finds a way to redeem and to save. Take Psalm 107, for example. There we read, Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the mighty waters, and they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. And as the stormy wind whipped up, as the waves of the sea began to batter them, as the people were pulled down into the depths of the waters, I'm reading again, their courage melted away in their calamity. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. It's the same power that Isaiah describes of this saving God. And it was a word that Isaiah brought to a people in exile. The children of God who were drowning under the weight of military bondage and political hopelessness and the pain of being pulled, ripped away from their homes. Do not fear, says the Lord. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. One of the things I've heard repeatedly since Florence first raised her head up was how this storm has brought back painful or difficult memories of another storm in the past. And for most of us, that storm was Hugo which I know left an indelible mark on many of you. I was a junior at Davidson College when Hugo came to town. And although the effects were much more devastating here in the Mount Pleasant area, that storm was still a hurricane when it crossed over my dorm sometime in the early morning hours. And I really can still remember those big dormitory windows rattling around me and wondering if they were going to hold or going to break. But the events of the last week actually reminded me of uh, more of another storm in my past. It was 1996, and I had just taken the bar exam. My friend Don Long and I, we had some time to kill before we started our law firm jobs. We both liked the outdoors, so we planned a week-long backpacking trip 
along a stretch of the Appalachian Trail in the center part of Virginia. And when we started our trek, it was a sunny and pleasant September afternoon. We had checked the local weather forecast. <laughs> it looked okay. You know, there was some rain early on, no big deal. That first night after we set up camp, it rained just a little. The next morning when we got up and packed up our tents, it was still kind of a drizzle. We hiked that whole first full day in a steady rain. The next morning we set out again in the rain. And by that afternoon, the wind had started to pick up. And we had planned to go further on that day, but when we came across one of those nice Adirondack shelters that are on the Appalachian Trail, and we found that it was in a pleasant little clearing, we decided we might as well just stay here, let this be the place that we spend the night. So we stopped there on, at that shelter on the crest of a mountain called The Priest. You know where this is headed now, right? We stayed in that shelter for 14 hours. Trees were falling all around us. We knew that we were in a big storm. We did not at that time know that the storm had been named and people were calling it Hurricane Fran. So Fran had made landfall near Wilmington the day before. It had surged inland toward Raleigh and then taken a really hard right turn straight up through the center of Virginia. And in just a few hours, that storm dropped about 13 inches of rain on the Shenandoah National Park where my friend and I were camped at the crest of the priest. And there with us through it all were two other waterlogged hikers. They had stumbled in not long after we got there. It was a young man from Richmond and his big, furry, grayish dog. Now, actually, the man said the animal was only part dog. <laughs> the other half, he claimed, was gray wolf. But it gets better. Its name was Damien. So Damien's owner, whose name I cannot recall, was a guy from Richmond. He had long dreadlocks. He did not carry a pack. It was really just like an oriental rug. That was his bedroll. We chatted a little, um, but as uh, Don and I cleaned up dinner and as darkness began to fall, we noticed as Damien's owner went to the little backpack that Damien had dutifully carried in and he pulled out a little bag, and we kind of noticed that in the bag there was a lighter and what appeared to be a little pipe. And for purposes of today, given where we are, let's just say it was some dried, organic, leafy substance in the bag, too. <laughs> and that's how Damien and his owner rode out Hurricane Fran. <laughs> My friend Don and I played cards on our side of the shelter like the dutiful Boy Scouts that we were. The next day when the rain finally stopped and we thought it was safe enough to get going again, we found the trail was full of water tumbling down the other side of the mountain. And this section of the, of the AT actually includes one of the biggest descents on the entire trail. It drops about 3,000 feet and about four miles. So the water was moving down with us as we went and moving pretty quickly. About half a mile down the trail, we began to hear what we thought sounded like a train. But as we got closer, we realized it was not a train that we were hearing. It was the roar of a new tributary 
that was cutting right across the trail in front of us. Under normal conditions, we would have crossed that little tributary literally with just a few hops from rock to rock. But on that day, that would have been suicide. The raging water was 20 feet wide. It was entirely white. There were 10 to 20 foot drops everywhere. There was no way through it and no way over it. So we got out the map and we found this tiny blue line that this wild and tumbling river normally was, and we saw that if we just turned right and turned off the trail, we could bushwhack a few miles and actually make it out to a state road. So that's what we decided to do. And immediately, though, after we left the path, movement became very, very difficult because the way out was covered with a thick, a dense thicket of rhododendron. So, because of the way that rhododendron plants twist and turn upon each other, these crowded growths are actually literally called rhododendron hells. And that is exactly where my friend and I thought that we were. (laughs) For miles, we were crawling, literally, and inching our way with our bags, our backpacks kind of getting snagged on these branches all the way. It took us hours to get down to that state road, but we did finally make it down there. There, we didn't know which way to go. We took a chance and turned right. That turned out to be okay because right around the bend, we found a little general store where some other storm refugees had already gathered. They had lost power completely, but the phone still worked. So we called our parents. We said, we're, we're totally fine. We're at this safe little place. We don't know when we're going to get out, but here we are. And we did begin to learn that we were probably stranded. The rain had swollen the Tai River. It was beginning to spill over its banks and into the road there. We realized that we were cut off on three sides by this rising river, and the mountain and rhododendron hemmed us in on the other side. So just as we were beginning to come to grips with the fact that we were going nowhere fast, Damien's owner comes running up. (laughs) He says, come on, guys, I found us a ride. Now... Looking back, (laughs) there was a lot we did not know in that moment. We did not know much about the two young men who were graciously offering us a ride, only that they looked a little rough around the edges. We didn't know at that point that our ride would be an old beat-up pickup truck that looked to be held together mostly with rust and duct tape. Nor did we know that our passage through the flood had been purchased with the remaining contents of the aforementioned Ziploc bag. (laughs) What we did know was that we wanted out of there, that we wanted to get dry, that we wanted to get some sleep, that we wanted to get home. And we knew that we didn't have much time before we would really be stranded, perhaps for days. So we flung ourselves into the rusty bed of this truck The man who had secured our ride sat up front. We figured he had earned it. So Don and I threw ourselves and our backpacks back into the back of this truck with all of our hope and all of our faith and Damien the wolf. And as we pulled away from the store, a few things came into greater focus very quickly. The first being that this flood was a lot worse than we even appreciated down there. A line of cars was already stopped and parked on the highway. Those drivers were not going any farther. They saw the water over the road. They knew it was dangerous. They said, we are going to ride it out. 
And then we learned that we were probably going to die um, because our driver, our chauffeur, stopped only briefly at the back of that line, put it in reverse, pulled off to the left across the dotted yellow line, and started picking up speed, okay? He was going where no one else dared to go. He was going through the flood. Now, if you've ever seen that public service commercial, turn around, don't drown, your car is not a boat, didn't make it to Shenandoah Valley, apparently, or if it did, they weren't thinking about that in that moment, so we're speeding up, and as we're speeding up, and I promise you I'm not exaggerating these details, rebel yells and cheers from the parked cars began to raise. (laughs) as they see us coming in their rearview mirrors. The passengers in my vehicle, uh, in the cab, responded in kind and added a garnish of beer cans flying out from the cab of the truck that literally were flying over my head. I remember thinking, wow, the sky is remarkably blue as these beer cans fly over my head. And then I remember thinking, well, Peter, this is it, you know. This is how you go. Down into the swollen brown water of the Thai River in the back of this crazy pickup truck. And in the midst of storms like Florence and Hugo and Fran, I was realizing in that moment something that I think we all realize in moments like that. We realize that there are times in this life when we have no power or control over events whatsoever. That there are situations that we cannot bargain our way out of or transact our way out of. In times when we feel like life may be pulling us down into the depths and that there's not a thing that we can do about it. And those are times when we can relate to the cries of the Psalms and the promise of Isaiah, where we can appreciate that plea, the, the kinds of pleas that are raised and lifted in desperation to God, prayers like that of Jonah, who had been cast off of his ship into the deep, into the heart of the seas, to use his words. The flood surrounded me, Jonah said. He said it to God. He said, all of your waves and your billows passed over me. The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down, he said, to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And then... In the moment of Jonah's greatest desperation, God showed up. When that rusted-out truck hit the river, the water was already more than a foot deep on the road, and spray exploded out in every direction. It got eerily quieter the deeper we went into the river. And then, after what was probably just a moment, the spray began to pop back up again. And by some miracle, we had passed through the waters, through the flood, and made it intact onto the other side. An hour later, we were home. 
It's estimated that nearly 2 million people lost power as a result of Hurricane Florence. I expect that tens of thousands are still waiting for service to be restored. Scores, perhaps, of people have died due to storm-related incidents. And as Bart said earlier, now is the time when it tends to get really stressful and really hard. When floodwaters are still hindering access to homes, cash, ice, food, clean drinking water. It's been a great blessing to see the response of so many churches, including this one, who have tried to meet some of the most pressing needs of the victims. And I'll tell you, this help is desperately needed because the storm after the storm continues to rage. And yet, even in the midst of storms like that, the winds and the rain and the billowing waves and the strain of living in the aftermath, and in whatever kind of storm that you might be enduring, in your spirit, at this point in your life, the word of the prophet comes to us and reminds us that God always shows up. Do not fear, O Israel, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Thanks be to God.